The relationship between Judah now and the northern ten tribes, it's always been a little tentative. Notice what it says here in verse 16. So, now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king saying, How um, we have no inheritance, or what share have we in David? To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your house, your own house, O David. And so Israel departed to their tents. All exclaiming in his Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. From this point on in the history of Israel, the name Israel referred to the ten northern tribes and the name Judah referred to the southern tribes of Benjamin and Judah. There was a long-standing tension between the ten northern tribes and the combined group of Judah and Benjamin. There were two earlier rebellions along this line of potential division in the days after Absalom's rebellion in 2 Samuel 19 verses 40 through 43, which developed into the rebellion of Sheba documented in 2 Samuel 20 verses 1 and 2. Rehoboam should have been thankful that God's love to David had left him with even two tribes. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching already in progress. Consulted the elders that had had been serving his father David. I'm sorry, that has been serving his father Solomon. Excuse me. And and notice what he asked them. He says, "How do you advise me to answer these people? Because the people, you know, wanted the the work to be lessened. They wanted less work, and they've been working very hard. And it was probably a good idea that." Rehoboam would have given them a break of some kind, but instead of giving them the break, he added more to their, to their labor. But notice it's good that he consulted the elders. It was a good first move. You know, in Proverbs chapter 11, what does it tell us? Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is what? There's safety, right? Remember that. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So, Invoking these men, these elders, was a really good thing. It was a really good thing that he did. <laughs> and, um, and they spoke to him, and notice what they said, verse 7, If you will be a servant, if you will be a servant, notice that what they are encouraging him to do, to be a servant. Yes, he's the king, and unfortunately many kings are the king of the hill. And it, it, they, they want to be the one that's served, not the one that serves but God has set forth this example for us that, you know, that we should serve. If we want to be great in God's kingdom, we need to be willing to serve. And this word servant here in verse 7 literally means a bondman or a bondservant, a similar to a, what we would call in the New Testament a doulos, a bondservant. When Paul would say, Paul the apostle, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. It's a similar term, but in Hebrew. Okay, so... The, the older, the elders, they tell him, if you want to be a servant to these people today and serve them, and you answer them and speak good words to them, then they're going to be your servants forever, Sol- or Rehoboam. 
And Solomon's father, David, was such a man, wasn't he? We know that David was a servant. Solomon's father, Rehoboam's grandfather, was a servant. He was willing to do anything. He was the one who watched the sheep when all of his older brothers didn't want to do it. The youngest, the most insignificant, the eighth of Jesse. He was the one who served. And he would do anything. But I love what it says in Matthew chapter 20. Remember, Jesus called uh, his disciples to himself and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whosoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son. Notice the, the comparison here. It's comparing, comparing Jesus, which is always a good thing for us to do. You know, one of the places where we get stuck as Christians is we, we begin to compare ourselves with one another. You begin to do that, there's going to be no end of your comparison. And it's not going to be fair. It's not going to be just. It's not going to be right. And you're going to be miserable. Because someone's always going to be better than you. And you're, you're going to feel like you're better than somebody else. But there's one who is over us who is better than all. And who is that? Jesus, yes. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, notice, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He didn't come to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life a ransom for many. Boy, if all of our world leaders had that as their heart, things would be so much different, wouldn't they? And yet, isn't this the golden rule? Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Do you want them to serve you, Solomon? Then you serve them. You initiate it. You initiate it. Men, you initiate being a servant in your home and at your workplace. You initiate it. You take the initiative to be a servant when everyone else is laying around doing nothing and complaining about their wages. You be the one to wash the toilets. You be the one to mop mop the floors. Set that example. Raise the bar. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you've got to be willing to do the toilets. You've got to be willing to wash the floors. You've got to be willing to pick the gum off underneath the chairs. You've got to be willing to vacuum. You've got to be willing to do all those things, even in your own home. Be willing. Be a servant. Be a servant. That's what God wants us to be, as servants. And if we do it as unto him, it won't seem like a chore at all. I remember many years ago I was mopping, and I've told the story a few times, but it's true. I was in the fellowship hall, and we had the Bread of Life Christian Academy happening here. And I remember one time I, you know, my life was being consumed by the school at that time, and I started to resent it a little bit because I really wanted to spend more time on worship, which, you know, that's part of what I was supposed to do. And I found myself getting absorbed so much into the other stuff, the cleaning and stuff like that, that I, that part of my ministry was, in my opinion, suffering. And I remember one day out there, and I just had a, all the kids were in their classrooms, and I was in there wiping the chairs and the tables and mopping the floor, and I just had this moment with the Lord, and I'm like, Lord, I'm just, I'm really tired of this. I've been doing this for years now. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, I feel like, there's just something more, and I just got really, I had, I had a pity party is what I had. And I just said, I can't do this. I can't do this for Jeff. I love him, but I just, I, I'm, I'm getting weary in this. And he says, but can you do it for me? And I'm like, oh. 
And then it changed my whole attitude. And I needed that because I was doing it for the wrong reason. Certainly, I love Pastor Jeff. He's like a dad to me, and I would do anything for him. You know, and at that time, I think my vision, my thoughts were not quite right. Who was I doing all this for? Was I doing it for him? Was I doing it for Calvary Chapel? It had to be more than that, because there will come a point in your life, if it hasn't already, that you'll be doing something, and, and you're going to get fed up, and, you're gonna have to, and then the Lord's going to have to say to you, well, will you do it for me? Can you mop that floor, Rob? Can you clean that toilet? Can you do it for me? I know you can't do it for Jeff anymore, and I can understand that because he's a man, a great man, but he's, he's just a man. But can you do it for me? And I'm like, I literally broke down in tears, and I repented. <laughs> I asked God to forgive me, and I put my, my AirPods or whatever they were in my ears again and went back to washing tables with a whole different heart. But he was supposed to be a servant, and that's what the elders told him. But he rejected the advice of the elders uh, that they had given him, and he consulted the young men. Now, Rehoboam wasn't a young man, comparatively. I mean, he was 41 years old. It tells us that in 1 Kings 14, 21, that he was 41 years old when he became king. So he wasn't a young man, but he was very inexperienced. And unfortunately, he was immature in leadership, and he lacked a shepherd's heart at that time. And he naturally chose the counsel of his pals that he had grown up with. Instead of honoring those aged men who had been with his father, he, he consults these, these younger men. And notice in verse 9 what it says. Uh, it says, and, and he said to them, what advice, do you, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people? Now he's speaking to the young men. Do you, do you notice the difference with what has happened here? He says, Notice the difference. How should we answer this people? Now look back at verse 6 and notice what it says when he was talking to the elders. How do you advise me to answer this people? Do you see the difference? It's a subtle thing, but the difference is interesting because the older men were there to assist him and they were very comfortable with answering to him because they knew that he was a king. He knew that he, they knew that he was king and that was their chain of command. And they were very comfortable with it. So he was able to approach them and say, what do you think that I should do? But now notice in the verse that we're looking at now in verse 9, what does he say to him? Say to his friends, how should we answer this people? Wait, I thought he was king. But notice how that little pronoun, yes, pronouns were big back then too, but for a different reason. How should we answer this people? And Rehoboam here flatters the young men who grew up with him and speaks to them as if they are his equal. Do you see that? And thus he's establishing this generational clique. And see, this is where uh, discipleship breaks down. It's where it breaks down. He Rehoboam should have been in a place of being discipled, but instead he refuses to be discipled. And now he just wants his best buds to kind of give me, tell me what we should do. Ah, just give them, you know, and that's exactly what he does. You see, in order for discipleship to work, one has to be willing to be discipled and the other has to be willing to be, or willing to be a disciple, and someone else has to be willing to be a disciple. To be discipled and to disciple. And every Christian should seek to not only be a disciple of someone older and wiser than them, but also seek 
to disciple someone younger than themselves. It's a really healthy thing to do. And I see it uh, here in the fellowship. There's a couple people that I'm thinking of specifically where I see an older man discipling a younger man and the younger man willing to be discipled by the older man. And when you see stuff like that, it's really wonderful. Guys, encourage that. Grab a hold of some young guy. If you've got skills and you want to help him out and you know, and, and he's got to be willing as well. It, it, sometimes it doesn't work, does it? Because one doesn't want it. If, if it's going to happen, they both have to see the value in it and, and then do it together. But throughout the Bible, we see this. And it can happen with women and with men. The, the older women should encourage and disciple the younger women. And those older women should be discipled by women who have stood in the, you know, in the Lord's path longer than they have. But in the Bible, we see this. You know, we see Moses discipling Joshua. We see Elijah discipling Elisha. We see Jesus discipling the Twelve. We see the Apostle Paul discipling Timothy. And even more, now in the 20th century, Pastor Chuck disciples Bill Gallatin. Bill Gallatin disciples Jeff Breed, and Jeff Breed disciples me. <laughs> That's how it works. Be willing to disciple and also be willing to be discipled. But it takes two. You both have to understand the value of it. And it's rare, especially today, I think. One has to remove the pride. Usually it's the young man who thinks he knows everything. He's got to be willing to listen to somebody. And that older man's got to be willing to put up with this little arrogant fool. (laughs) Oftentimes that can be. And then to be willing to encourage them but there's hopefully no resistance if the the younger is willing to be discipled that's a beautiful thing when it happens but notice that the young men who have grown up with them they, they speak a harsh word and they say you know to be really harsh with them and so he does and notice in verse 11 and, and they say now whereas my father has put a heavy yoke on you i will add to your yoke and my father chastise you with whips but i will chastise you with scourges The word there is scorpions in the King James, and basically what this is is a particular type of whip with sharp pieces of metal in it. Think of it like the Roman flagellum. That's really what it is. And a scorpion is is usually three straps, and it would have metal and bone uh, laced inside of it and and, and embedded in those leather straps, and that's what they would use to um, uh, question people. So that's what he's talking about here. So Jeroboam, they came to him the third day, and, 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 and they did, and he answered all of those things and basically just uh, told them that he's not going to let up on them, but he's going to chastise them with scourges or scorpions. And so the king, verse 15, did not listen to the people. For the turn of events, notice, underline this, was from the Lord. It was from the Lord, because you remember back in, um, let's see, where was it? As you look in verse uh, 11, or chapter 11, as Ahijah is meeting with Jeroboam, he speaks to him these things. And, um, and so God ultimately brings this to pass. He brings this prophecy that he's going to tear away the kingdom from him uh, because of Solomon's rebellion, and certainly Rehoboam is not being a very mature, very strong leader at this point either. And he, you know, he's 41 years old, he, but he lacked that leadership 
uh, skill, and uh, certainly he had opportunity to grow in that as time went on. But notice that the relationship between Judah now and the northern ten tribes, it's always been a little tentative. Notice what it says here in verse 16. So, now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, How... Um, we have no inheritance, or what share have we in David? To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your house, your own house, O David. And so Israel departed to their tents. And if you look at this, you might want to write in the margin of your Bible next to verse 16, Second uh, Samuel chapter 19, verse 40. 2 Samuel 19, verse 40, through chapter 20, verse 2. And you'll see the cause of the quarrel, and we don't have time to go there, but in a, in a very quick nutshell, when David, remember, was running from Absalom, his son, he went over on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and when uh, Absalom had died, David went back. And as he's crossing the Jordan River to go back west into Jerusalem, the tribe of Judah met him, but the, the, the other northern ten tribes, or the, the, the tribes of uh, Ephraim and those in the north, uh, they didn't come, and they, they weren't notified. And so they got really offended that they weren't able to come and escort the king across and have this big you know, celebration. And, and ever since then, the, this tension between the northern ten tribes and the southern two tribes was always very tentative. And so now we're seeing that it's starting to break and to, and to sever. And uh, in fact, in Second Samuel chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, you see the very same phrase that the men here in verse 16, they use. Because in Second Samuel 20, remember there was that man um, whose name was Sheba who rebelled against David, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet and he said, We have no part in David, neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So this became like a battle cry. And, and so where, this, where you see it here in verse 16 in our text tonight, where did that come from? It came from 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1. So read that over and you'll see the, the, initiate, uh, the initial quarrel that began between Judah and the other northern uh, tribes. And, and so this is really what this is, is the, 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 the whole kingdom now beginning to separate from a united kingdom, which was first by you know, Saul and then David and then Solomon, it was united. But now under Rehoboam, everything starts to fall apart and it becomes a divided kingdom. And so, but Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. And then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue. But all the, so he sends this man who is in charge, evidently, of, of gathering the money or the, you know, the census or the tax or whatever you want. Um, and, and they stone him. And it was kind of a foolish thing for uh, Rehoboam to do, knowing that there's already this tension. And now he knows that the northern ten tribes are going to go to Jeroboam, and he's only going to have the southern two tribes. And he's, but he still wants their money. Because, you know, there are a lot of people, and if I can't get their money, I'm going to be broke. And so uh, he sends this man, Adoram, and they stone him with stones. And at that point, Rehoboam realizes, uh, things aren't going so well here. So he gets in his chariot, flees to Jerusalem. And so Israel was in rebellion against the house of David to this day. 
And then let's go down to, uh, we, we looked at verse uh, 21, but notice verse 24, remember, now he's trying to, Rehoboam's trying to get the men of Judah and Benjamin together, 180,000 men. And God tells him, you, sh- you shall not go up against your brethren. And, and to his credit, Rehoboam finally, you know, he did listen to the prophet when he said this. And, um, and they averted a war, which was a really good thing. And um, so look at verse 25. This is where things get a little interesting here. Notice it says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. And also he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. Now remember, as, as, as the feasts happen, there were three feasts that happened every year where all Jewish meals were supposed to go to Jerusalem. And we know that they are the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the uh, Pentecost. And so they were, um, yeah, that's right, and they were to go. But now Jeroboam who is overseeing the northern ten tribes, has got a problem. Because now that he's got control of the ten, now they're all going to want to go at three times a year down to Jerusalem. So his wheels start to spin, and you can understand what he's thinking. And he says uh, in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David, verse 27, and this is why. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord. And Rehoboam, king of Judah, and... And they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So having the feasts be in Jerusalem, he's got to think of something really quick to keep these people from going to Judah. Because once they start going, they're going to start warming up to Rehoboam. And you better believe that Rehoboam is going to give them the treatment when they come. Oh, it's so good to see you. You know, and hand everybody a thing of popcorn as they're coming into Jerusalem. Yeah, come on, I got popcorn and balloons for the kids. Come on, guys. And they're like, oh, this guy's so great, man. I don't want to go back to that Jeroboam. Right? And you better believe he would do that. So his motivation here, Jeroboam, was fear. Which is not uncommon. We all have fears. (laughs) And this was his. But notice in verse 28, Therefore the king asked advice. Notice he asked advice, but he didn't inquire of the Lord. And there's, here's another character flaw of Rehoboam, or Jeroboam, excuse me. So therefore the king asked advice, and make two calves of gold, and, and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to you? Notice that Jeroboam didn't ask the Lord, but rather he asked the rebels who are around him. And then he gets this demonically inspired idea of creating two worship centers now. Now instead of Jerusalem being the place, he creates one in Bethel, which is in the, you know, in the middle of the, of the it's still in, in the northern area, but it's one here and then in Bethel, and then the other one is up in Dan, right up on the border of Lebanon and Syria. And so in this, he's violating God's law, isn't he? Because God said that everybody should go to Jerusalem to worship, but now he's thinking he's going to lose his people. So he creates two centers, and then he does something even worse. He makes two calves of gold. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.